Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Extra Life. I'm Kesel McDonald. And I'm Annie Gibson. Are we just abandoning the intro altogether now? You didn't say well, what look, Extra Life is. We, re- we really haven't managed to nail down a description oh, of this fine. podcast that's even vaguely acceptable. So let's just let's just jump right in, shall fine. we? Carry on. Our guest today is Mr. Jim Howick. Hello, Jim. Hello, everyone. Thanks for having me. You're most welcome. How are you getting on in lockdown two? I'm okay. Lockdown two is kind of like normal life for me. I'm, I'm sort of filming Sex Education 3 at the moment. So I've been back and forth to Wales every couple of weeks and um, we're deep into writing uh, Ghosts 3, which we're planning to film all being well in February. Brilliant. Mm. Everything's going to be normal yeah, by February, so right? Lockdown 1 was, you know, walking dogs and a roast dinner every day and a family quiz every <laughs> week. And I mean, it was it was quite nice. There were aspects, it was, I mean, it was miserable and it was bleak, but there were aspects of it that I quite liked. You know, the roast a day I, I could do, I could go with again. <laughs> I, I have to tell you, Jim, that for, for lockdown, lockdown one for me was your face uh, much of the time because, you know, you're in these grown up TV shows that are very critically acclaimed, blah, blah, blah. But more importantly, um, you're in horrible histories, of course. Yes, that's um, right. And I have a six-year-old son and a nine-year-old son and, you know, God, forbid I should actually have to teach them anything during the homeschooling thing (laughs) so our homeschooling every day a great proportion of it was horrible history so honestly looking at your face now is is i feel like i've looked at your face so much if it feel like we might as well be married to be i feel like we're married take the bins out please jim for god's sake no i'm not it's having sex turn. with you yeah i'm not having sex it's with you it's, a not, rotor it's not your birthday um, um i, yeah. I was well. worried then that you were going to say that i was uh, in your nightmares <laughs> No, um, I want to say thank you. Know, you. Thank we, we you all so had much. We lockdown dreams, didn't we? No, thank no, you no, so I'm much. I'm pleased that um, I provided you with some uh, guilt-free screen time. It's insane, actually, how many people watched Horrible Histories over the first lockdown. I got rather a lot of attention on uh, on my dog walks. 
<laughs> yeah, I just said quite early on that if you watch enough horrible histories, it's basically like doing an A level. So that's yeah. what we've gone with. And actually, I've got a history A level, and genuinely, I've learned more from you dressing up in silly clothes than I have from Alan. Uh, what was his name? Alan Wickham, I think it was, uh, who taught me at Orpington College. Why in the are you 90s. asking me? I don't know who your history A level teacher was, Ellie. Just come I know on. we know each other quite well, but I've not memorized that level of detail. Some about friend your life. you are. <laughs> So have you also been playing more video games, Jim? Has that been a way you've been passing the time? Yes, absolutely. Yes, I've, uh, like millions of others, I literally dusted off my PlayStation 4 that was behind the the telly because I hadn't played for about a year before lockdown. I kind of just got sort of tired of all the sort of 24-hour updates that you have (laughs) to do when you put your PlayStation on for the first time in sort of three months and sort of gave up in a huff. So yeah, I dusted it down and I've been playing, um, I've been actually racing with a guy I walk my dog with now and again. I've been racing, um, it's F1 2019. So it's uh, Formula One cars and we sort of race all around the world with this guy who was a lighting director for Toto. And the Eagles, he's now retired, and the Rolling Stones and Queen. And what? It's just, he's just a fascinating bloke who sort of races with me and another friend of mine who I was at drama school with and sort of just, you know, gets sort of stoned and, and races with us. <laughs> this guy, this old hippie. Uh, so that's what I've been doing. Um, I've also recently bought um, Star Wars Squadrons, uh, which I got into. I'm not really a massive story gamer just because it sort of takes up too much of my life. So I've always been more recently, the last sort of 10 years or so, more of a kind of sport gamer because it you kind of get that 10 minute hit and you're satisfied and you can do other things. The, the F1 games are so good these days that they're literally indistinguishable from real F1, I find. And just as boring. Yeah. That's what I find. <laughs> Equally dull. Pre- presumably livened up by your mate's stories about the Rolling Stones and Toto. <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's uh, I kind of got... I, I used to live with a kind of... Uh, well, I, a kind of? I used to live with an actual Finnish man who was really into Mika Hakkinen and he kind of got me into it, the whole uh, race... <laughs> And the, and the tactics and the maths of it all. And since then, I've kind of, I've got sort of broken through the boredom seal and I've found enjoyment in it. And so, yeah, it's actually really good fun. But yeah, when sports sort of ceased to exist uh, during lockdown, they would actually put the e-sports version of the F1 race in place of the actual Grand Prix. And it's sort of, yeah, the graphics are amazing. It's indistinguishable, really, from a lot of the uh, footage you see on a sort of on an actual race. So. Yeah, there you go. That's my accidental partridge for the afternoon. (laughs) (laughs) That is super partridge, though. Yes, been playing a lot of F1 with the lighting director for the Eagles. (laughs) I mean, I don't, if you had to make up a partridgeism. Let's go back in time. That's your present day gaming life, Jim. But let's, where did it all start? Where did your love of games begin? Well, I grew up in a seaside town. I grew up in Bognor Regis. So for most of the throughout most of the year, it's pretty it's kind of redundant and deserted. And so it's up to us local kids to keep the amusements going and the arcades going. And so I spent a lot of my childhood in an amusement arcade that was literally a sort of five minute bike ride down the road. 
that arcade was kitted out with Kung Fu Master and eventually in the late 80s they had an afterburner which was really exciting they had the full kind of cockpit and everything else but my first yeah the first games I sort of got into down there really were Kung Fu Master Uh, which was a sort of a story-based kind of... What's the word? It's What do you do in it? Do you punch people? It's called Kung Fu Master, I'm guessing, Keza. You well, don't, do you know what? You it don't could, negotiate it, with people. It could, it could have been about chess. <laughs> you know? I mean, I don't know. Chess, what's chess got to do with Kung Fu? Well, maybe, maybe you're a chess master who also does Kung Fu, but the Kung Fu isn't part of the game. It's just like part of the background story. I think you've had too much coffee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So basically, this, the premise is that this Kung Fu master, whose name's Tom, loves which is, chess. You know, ob- obviously, his name's Thomas, and his girlfriend uh, Sylvia. Tom and Sylvia, the seventies sitcom husband and wife. Sylvia gets kidnapped by a gang called Sons of the Devil, uh, and then you you basically have to fight your way through knife throwing maniacs, and that's basically it. <laughs> And that was my first sort of taste of a story game, a revenge game. But I never completed it because it was an arcade game and you only got sort of five minutes to to play. And then the other arcade game that I was obsessed with was a game called Outrun, which was essentially a couple in a Ferrari Testarossa convertible, I think. There you go. Another accidental partridge. (laughs) Get ready. And they were basically driving through kind of exotic uh, hot locations and um, I wasn't really sure of the premise of that that game but again it was they were just sort of tasters of levels because uh, it was an arcade game and I wasn't particularly well off what I found particularly elevated outrun was the girlfriend constantly shouting at you while you were driving. Go faster! Is that right? I can't. Re- I can't remember. Is that's that really what happened what, in my head. Yeah. Maybe that's. just I remember me. that the girlfriend never um, drove herself. So no, she just shouted. That's just a nag. Yeah, no, yeah. It was. Seat. I mean, maybe I've just uh, absorbed the early '90s sexism norms and projected them onto outrun. But I do think that was the case, wasn't it? Ellie? Were women even allowed to drive in the '90s? I, I can't remember. I think that so. It was a long time ago. <laughs> You'd know. Yeah, there are horrible histories about women learning to drive in the. 90s. The thing about yes. the British seaside town arcades is that they've literally still got the same games in them. Like, it's the same. Like, my local one still has Outrun and Daytona. But there's still, like, a quid or two a throw now. It's like, this game is from 1997. <laughs> really? How did you finance this arcade habit, Jim? Well, at home, it was, I mean, pocket money, I guess, and just dad's coin bowl that he had by the door. When I was on holiday, we would often, we would go to Spain and there would always normally be a arcade place nearby where my parents were sort of drinking or if we went to a bar or something I'd get a coke and bother my dad for pesetas most of the night until and and then you know when I run out when I run out of my sort of quota for pesetas then I would be the kid who would sit and pretend to play an arcade game and, and just have start game flashing at me. There's something special about British arcades, definitely, and seaside arcades. But yes, there's something about European, continental European, like those, like a few years ago, me and my family went to a holiday camp in France and it was all a bit weird. It was like, it was, I think it was trying to be like centre parks, but budget. So like you slept in what was basically a shed, uh, which the boys quite enjoyed, obviously. And then they had one of these terrible sort of cafes where there's all, it's all fading orangina posters and pissed Belgians. But in the corner, there was a machine of Jambo Safari. Yes. Yes. Jambo wow. Safari. Have you played Jambo Safari, Jim? I haven't. No, no. Perhaps on the back I of this probably, podcast. I'm sure can... I remember it. 
Don't you have to just lasso wild animals? Isn't that the premise of Jambo Safari? That's right, Kezia. You have to, you drive across the savanna in your in, in your poor poorly handling <laughs> jeep, and you have like you have to pull a stick, and then that throws a lasso. And what I like as well. Now I'll be honest, I'm not a huge like animal person, right? Obviously, I care. You know, I don't wish them harm, but I'm no. not. I mean, you think cats are sinister? We know that. I do think they're deeply evil. But um, <laughs> but what I what I sort of like now that now I sound like a monster. But in Jambo Safari, what I sort of like is you can see the emotions, and this was before emoticons this was in the olden times you can see the emotions of the animals in a little bubble above their head so you can see when you've really pissed off a giraffe or like if a baboon is really fucking angry like you can actually see what they're going through as you lasso them and then you have to drop a crate on them I mean, are they more or less receptive to lassoing if they're happy or, or angry well you see so you sneak up on them and then they get frightened and then they get angry <laughs> when you because you horrible. have to horrible it's good yeah, no, I it's... Think this is why I don't know about this game <laughs> this is I like... was much more into sort of killing heroin smuggling Arabs in Desert Strike or something like that. Well, no, not, it's not problematic at all. It's fine. So when, exactly. I, when I found this this arcade cabinet in this French weird campsite, it was honestly, it was like finding a Fabergé egg in a Lidl. It was just like, <laughs> because I used to play it many years before. And um, when I was in my 20s, I used to work in Soho and there was a play to win on old Compton Street and they had a Jambo Safari machine. And we used to spend upwards of, I would say, £40 in there most lunchtimes <laughs> um, just, just lassoing zebras. And it was, it was joyous. And I liked it so much much that I nearly brought down Sega. Do you know this story? I do not know this story. So... Wow. Jim's, Jim's rubbing his eyes. No, it's true. So <laughs> I'm just wondering what the end of level boss is on this game. Like, is it King Kong or is it like a kind of a rare beast? It's think, a unicorn. I Yeti. think you have to kidnap Cecil Rhodes and then you you end colonialism forever. I think that's... <laughs> this does sound like a kind of Victorian... Those Victorian uh, explorers that enjoyed collecting animals by just murdering them and bringing them back. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like that, but in video game form. I mean, a, a bit. But I used to love this arcade game. So when I became a game journalist, I used to tell everyone at Sega... Who who would listen how brilliant Jambo Safari was and how they should make a new version of it. They should bring it back like they did with Echo the Dolphin and all those other games. And then years after that, I was at a sort of a games event, at a posh sort of dinner, and I was talking to this like boss of Sega. And they, they'd done it. They brought out Jambo Safari on the Wii. And it wasn't very good, to be honest. I gave it six out of ten. But I, I told him how I like to think, attribute that, that to myself and how I tried to convince all the people at Sega to make this game. And he went, right. So it's your fault I've got 70,000 copies of that game sitting in a warehouse. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, it's all right. You can always do another Sonic. Doesn't seem to matter if there's shit. No one seems to mind. Arcades had kind of died by the time I was old enough to visit them. Yeah, so, all right. We don't need to go on about how you're bloody 12 so, again. So all, all my right. arcade experiences were in Japan, yeah. where the arcade... Yeah, it was still like still very much a thing. After I'd done my my classes for the day at uni, I'd head down to the local arcade and there were all these like local players, like local teenagers who had just one. There was this one girl who'd come along on Wednesdays about four o'clock and she was the most talented person I'd ever seen in my life playing a Dance Dance Revolution. And everyone would just stand back and watch. Like there were various like famous players in each arcade who were obviously just local kids, but they would be stupidly good at one or the other. There was this game called Jubeat, which um, was a music game. If you imagine like two, cubes on top of each other um, and there's like 16 square buttons on it and it's kind of glowing like a bioluminescent glow like it's come from space and it screams really really loud pop music at you and you have to Is this a dream you had? This is a real thing and uh, you have to touch the 16 different cube buttons to make the music happen and you feel it's basically like being a a kind of mad orchestra conductor octopus you have to use insane gestures and you look like a mad person playing it. Yeah and is it it a different because I was in Japan in February and I saw people playing 
making jubeats. Still, it's a big thing. But is it a different arcade culture there? Because it seems like people kind of go on their own and you watch them play and you think, God, you must have spent literally years getting this good at this game on just on your own. Yeah, I mean, I guess that must have been the same in the kind of golden era of arcades with Pac-Man and Space Invaders. Like there, there would always have been that person in the arcade who was just super, super good at that, uh, their cabinet. Anybody wants to see there's a Donkey Kong kill screen coming up? Uh, there's a Donkey Kong kill screen coming up if anybody wants to watch. I mean, yeah, there was always the kid in town who could who could get to the certain a certain level. But yeah, in Japan, it's still a thing. They take it so seriously. It's almost like a gym. It's like a sort of gymnasium. <laughs> Those games. Well, I was filming this show once and we were sharing a hotel with the Scottish national football team. And they had this sort of gym set out. And one of the things they had was one of those reaction games where you have to sort of hit the spot. So these games are actually very similar to these kind of sports training assemblies, I suppose. They take it very seriously indeed. So that was your sort of arcade gaming, Jim. But did you also, what, what machines did you have at home? We didn't have a machine at home until I got a Sega Mega Drive for Christmas when I was about... 12 I think before that I used to go sort of two doors down the road to a friend of mine house who's now my brother-in-law funnily enough and he had a Commodore 64 I just loved going around there and playing his games we had uh, he had Paperboy and um, Rampage uh, Ghouls and Ghosts Hover Bother um, which I can't remember I think that Hover Bother was about you were sort of warring neighbours and you had to whoever could mow their lawn the fastest and Paperboy was great because you would be a a paperboy and you'll be delivering in an American way it wouldn't be like the great British way where you get off your bike and put it on the stand and then walk up the driveway and try and get the Sunday Times in the in the letterbox it was the throwing paperboy delivery service and you'd, you'd get extra points for smashing windows and hitting men in the street fighting and you had to avoid kind of drunks and it's yeah it's quite satirical <laughs> Such behaviour is irresponsible, immature and very foolish. We recommend you try it at home. Paperboy. Why are so many games of that era about like suburban passive aggression or just straight up suburban aggression? It's a good point. Yeah, I wish uh, Yeah, good games now should be like that, really, shouldn't they? Did you have a lot of aggression at that time growing up in Bognor Regis? <laughs> were you a very angry Bognor... Bognor Re- what do you call someone from Bognor Regis? A Bognor Regite. Bognor Regal. It's a pretty benign place, to be honest. You were a paperboy. So you had what I would imagine, I've never done it, but I would imagine it's, it's quite a sort of, it's manual labour, isn't it? It's quite a tedious job, yet you chose to simulate that uh, in in a, in a small amount of pixels and, and play that for, for leisure. Well, absolutely, yeah. I mean, I, I used to play that game before I was a paperboy, so uh, oh. the first few rounds were uh, were pretty tricky. Yeah, so that, there was that game, and there was California Games I was really into as well. I loved the idea of a sort of Olympic-style game with these kind of cool beachy-type sports that really sort of tapped into the late 80s kind of Miami Vice, Bermuda Shorts kind of culture. Um, so you could play hack-a-sack with, with, with someone. That was a sport. I'm building a picture of you, Jim, as a child. Your aspirations seem to be to live in some sort of Californian paradise with a Ferrari and a hacky sack. And a girlfriend who shouts at you. Yeah, a shouty girlfriend and delivering papers every day. Was that your dream? Was that what you secretly wanted to grow up to be? I mean, how close are you to achieving that goal? I mean, that's what I'm doing now, you know. (laughs) Bogner Regis is the California of of Great Britain, after all. I do kind of love how in the 80s when games were super simple, they're like episodes of Peppa Pig or TV series where it's like, this one is about going to the dentist. This one is about playing with a ball. I think there's a Benny Hill game on the spectrum, I think, where you have to hang washing out while Benny Hill chases 
chases you or something. There's <laughs> maybe oh, you have no. to chase the woman hanging the washing out. Either way, I'm not sure I want to. <laughs> I want to play it. To be quite honest. On the plus side, because they were so simple, games didn't have the issue that Disney films now have, where when you press play on them, it comes up with a big disclaimer saying this film is hella racist, and we're really <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> God, they do. I didn't know they were doing that. Doing disclaimers. On yeah, Disney they just films. done it. Yeah, because uh, you know there are obviously some bits of. Like the bit in Dumbo with all the crows. They do it. Uh, well, I watched Flash Gordon the other day, and they had one before oh. that. Oh, like Flash Flash Gordon. It's like sitting on like something on a planet. Then it was a it was a different time. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. gaming progression sort of go Jim after the arcades you had the uh, the C64 at the neighbours yeah after the arcades we had the well actually uh, we had my dad uh, brought home I don't know where he got it from my dad was a sort of in-house electrician at a posh sort of boarding school in Sussex and so I don't know if he borrowed it like if one of the boarders had left it for the weekend there and he just nicked it essentially I <laughs> don't know but he brought home for the weekend this is it an Ingersoll console it was basically a sort of 1977 orange console with a rotary control which was essentially Pong it was like Pong but it had this sort of audacity to say that it was football and squash and, and all those other games that it really wasn't. Blow your mind from Ingersoll. So that was amazing. That was my first taste of, of a sort of at-home computer experience, arcade experience. And then my friend with the Commodore 64, and I play with him all the time. And then, and then, yeah, finally for Christmas, I got a Mega Drive, my own console, and it's still probably the best Christmas present I ever, I ever got. With thousands of colors, 16-bit graphic technology, and 10-channel mega stereo sound, the most advanced video game system in the universe. Yes. Drive. Tell us what that Christmas morning was like when you opened that Sega Mega Drive. Did you know it was coming? Was it a big? Did you still believe in Santa at this point? <laughs> Thirteen would have been quite. Children late. were stupid in the eighties, Keza. <laughs> well, they were. We were. We were stupid. I was told to. Uh, you know, basically, if I didn't believe, I wouldn't get any presents. That was <laughs> just to keep the magic going. That's, um, that's yeah, real like, coercion. Yeah. That's yeah. what you want for Christmas say, the magic. He's got very far <laughs> with that logic. Yeah, that's it. Well, I've been bothering my sister for a while, basically just asking her if if that's what I was getting to the point where she said no I'm sorry but they haven't bought you this good strategy and I was absolutely destroyed and so it was a U-turn on Christmas morning and I uh, yeah I remember sort of just running up and down the hallway like a kind of maniac child Aww. yeah I couldn't believe it on planet earth a scientist creates the ultimate machine a machine that will give him the power to journey into the mega world I think the game that came with it was Sonic and uh, they got my parents had bought me like another game which was like Soccer 1990 or something 
So yeah, I was playing Sonic most of the most of the morning. My parents used to make us wait, my brother and I, if we got a game for Christmas, or even if we got a new console, we had to wait until after Christmas lunch. What? Before we were allowed to play with it. That's so it's child just, abuse. It is, right? I spent, spent so many Christmases just like having to talk to elderly relatives. So you'd already opened your, because I know that some oh, people yeah. wait to open their presents after lunch. But you'd already opened your present and you weren't allowed to play oh, yeah. with it. No, I had to open it in the morning and then it would just sit there all day staring at me. That's torture. In my Wasn't house, it? kids open the presents 5am, absolutely fine. Start playing them fine. I'm, I start drinking champagne at six. Yeah. So, you know. Ignore them the rest of the day, basically. Absolutely. Isn't absolutely that what the fine. presents are for? So you yeah. can ignore your children for yeah. one precious day. <laughs> I am very excited about this Christmas, Keza, because at the time of recording, the PlayStation 5 is about to launch and you cannot get them. You can't even pre-order them. I, I have managed to, and now there might be children listening, I've managed to arrange with Santa, Keza. Mm. I've arranged with Santa that I've, I've secured a PS5. Special uh, delivery. For wow. Special delivery for it's... my son that he doesn't know about. And he thinks, you know, you can't get them. He's he's nine. If that child opens that present on Christmas Day and does not cry, I think I'm going to boot him out of the house. <laughs> That's what I'm saying to you. <laughs> Got to be tears. Otherwise, it's not exciting enough. Sobbing, weeping. You're the best mummy in the world. I'm never going to leave home or do drugs or get anyone pregnant. I love you so much, mummy. Thank you for everything. If I don't get that speech... He's out. <laughs> On the other hand, uh, I've got a teenager in the house who just expects it. He's just yeah. like, so when when I get the PlayStation 5, literally, he isn't even asked. He's just like, when I get the PlayStation 5, um, I'm like, I'm sorry, what? Well, I mean, this is what happens when you grow up no, living no, with two games No, but yeah, exactly. He, yeah. he lives with you. So you've like, probably like me, you've got every, you've got all the things, just right? Just thinks so it's normal. He just thinks it's standard. Are I you... don't know. He goes around other people's houses. No, he must understand that like it's, yeah. you shouldn't just get everything for free. Kids these days. Kids these days. Have you got kids, Jim? I don't know. I don't have kids. I've got, I've got two dogs are they so, into games you know playstation 5 is <laughs> completely wasted on them <laughs> do you still game these days then i do yeah i play uh, at the moment i'm, well, right, I'm f1 obviously at the yeah. moment with um the group the racing group the racing club is, is is what our whatsapp group is called we used to race lockdown one we would race every day for an hour but when i'm on my own now i i, kind of, I play star wars squadrons i'm playing that at the moment and i'm kind of a third of the way through it are you playing it in vr or in normal vision i'm playing it in normal vision normal vision is just what i call real life now just say why don't you just say are you playing it in vr are you playing it in vr or not just no you can stay in the sense to be just there. normal vision <laughs> <laughs> i've got to think of a new word for reality is there a third option Keza <laughs> 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 has literally lost touch with reality normal so vision, sorry so sorry augmented reality and this, virtual reality the three states of being <laughs> This happens sometimes. She just yeah, goes off on one. It is, it, was, it, was, it, was it actually made for VR, uh, Star Wars Squadrons? It probably was, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, you can still look around. You can look around the spaceship and go, oh, yeah, look at that. You know, it's still amazing to play. One Squadron. The galaxy's finest. When I was told that I was coming on and I, I was told about how I'd have to sort of come up with the idea of a fantasy game that I would, you know, the per- my perfect game. And sort of tw- if you asked me 20 years ago, then this game probably would be it. I feel like still about three quarters of game developers are still just trying to pursue the feeling that they got watching Star Wars as children. Like That's the whole point of like a large proportion of game development. Try and get Star Wars right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, they are now because everyone who's sort of making the decisions are our age, essentially. So they they were the kids that watched it. 
Going back to you were saying you had a you had a daily lockdown game in lockdown one where you would play F one every day. Now we've talked before on the podcast about um, games as a kind of therapy or a means of getting through lockdown. Was 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 that what it was for you? Or was it really just some like, sitting around driving a car? <laughs> it wasn't certainly to begin with. I think once I started becoming busy uh, work wise, I really missed just being just chatting with the guys. And so yeah, I guess it was a, a form of therapy. And we really got good at the game. And Lewis Hamilton rounds off the grid. And with lights out just moments away, it's time to go down to the track. You know, we started clocking lap times that were considered pretty good, even in the esports kind of uh, an esports level. So we were essentially practicing for an hour and a half a day, every day. Okay, go through all the gears if you can. We need to make sure the engagement is okay before the start. Put some temperature into the tyres and brakes. We need to keep the engine cool, though, so don't go too high with the revs. And I don't know if you've ever played sort of these F1 games or this sort of high-speed sort of racing games, but they actually are really hard to drive and to get round a track. We got really good at the game, and and uh, yeah, I, I really missed it. Have you considered going the whole hog with the steering wheel and the force feedback and the accelerator pedals? It's accelerator pedals, that's a thing. The full cockpit. I know I have a few racing game fans who have like about twice a year when new a new F one game comes out or a new Forza, they just kind of disappear into their ridiculous haptic feedback pretend car for like a month. Yeah, I mean, I think for that you've got you've got to go big or not at all, really. I've got one of our one of our sort of racers. He bought a pedal panel. And a, and a steering wheel and spent about £200 on it. But, you know, you've still got essentially got to attach it to a table or some sort of normal domestic appliance. You know, you need to spend a grand on a rig, a proper rig. Otherwise, there's just there's no benefit. So, yeah, we fantasised about it, but it's the good old... I just basically bought those things that you can put on top of your analogue controllers. They're, they're extra sort of thumb bits that give yourself a bit of grip. That was my rig. Listen, that's a gateway drug, that sounds like to me. I, I swear <laughs> to God, this time next year, if there's a lockdown three, I can see you, Jim. You're, you're going to be buying an actual F1 car, hollowing it out and sticking a PlayStation yeah. in there. That's yeah. my prediction that's for you. Yeah, with the full, the full uh, force that's feedback dream. chair. I mean, you could buy, I mean, you could buy like a child's bed, couldn't you? You know, you used to get those <laughs> beds that were cars. I could just get that in the, in the front room and just stick a steering wheel in. I mean, let's be honest, it is the middle-aged man equivalent of those beds, really, isn't it? <laughs> Right, Jim, I've got to go uh, get our other special guests now because we've been keeping them waiting for a little while. So, yeah. Ali, do you mind getting them? Uh, yeah, I'll just go. I think they're waiting in reception. I'll okay, just go and excellent. get them, okay? Hello! <laughs> Hi there, Jim Howick. I am Dave LucasArts. Lovely to meet you. Hi, Dave. Nice to meet you too. Hi, How great to be here. No, thanks for having me. Yes, I've just flown in from California. Uh, now, here's the thing. The Star Wars thing, it's not really working out for us at LucasArts. Oh, I'm really surprised by that. Yeah, it, it turns out it's not very profitable, oh, Keza. wow. That's right. After 43 years, we've realised there's no money in it, really. Squeezed it dry. Yeah, that's uh, right. Fair we've, enough. So, basically, uh, we're looking for new IP, new ideas. And what we thought we'd do is, you know, who can we get to breathe some life into the LucasArts portfolio, let's ask a former member of the Horrible Histories cast. So, uh, Jim, pitch your idea. Okay, okay, here's, a, here's an idea. Essentially, let's let's talk about uh, a game called Star Wars Mates, right? Star Wars Mates. <laughs> 
And what you have is all of your mates as avatars and you have a rock star style game where you can go anywhere and do anything. Like imagine Vice City in Moss Eisley. You can go and start a fight in the cantina bar. You can go to a port and fly to a planet with your mates or your friends or your family and just do anything you want. Red Dead in Star Wars. Does it exist? I hope not. Uh, Keza, correct me if I'm wrong. My memory of my own company's history is not absolutely <laughs> stellar, but I do believe we made this game. Was it not called Star Wars? Star Wars the Old Republic Star Wars or something. the Old Republic. You did, yeah, it, you know what? It kind of didn't really work out that time, but maybe the world is finally ready for the Star Wars multiplayer RPG of everyone's dreams. I'm going to be honest with you. It's good to be honest about your own failures. That was quite a shit game, uh, Jim. <laughs> How do you propose we make it good? Uh, you, can, you can go on a safari... <laughs> and you can kill uh, womp rats and uh, jowers. With and, a lasso? And c- cut their legs off and turn them into ashtrays. <laughs> uh, I tell you what, can we throw in this? What about Ewok umbrella stands? Done. Great. Okay, I think we're on to a winner. <laughs> uh, Star Wars The Old Republic, but with extra inexplicable bloodlust. I'm into it. What sort of budget are you looking for for this, Jim Howick? I, don't, I have absolutely no idea. I've got uh, a tenner in my back pocket if you need some extra. A hundred million. A hundred million lira. Done. Okay. <laughs> right. Oh, brilliant. I better be getting back to the old uh, California. Do you want me to, next time I come over, Jim, do you want me to bring you back a Ferrari or a shouty woman or anything from California? Yes, Please, thank you. I'll, do, I'll come to you. I'll come to you. Yeah, whatever you like. Uh, I'll just, uh, yes, I'll just be hanging out with George Lucas in the Weatherspoons. Thank you so much, Mr. Lucas. Bye! <laughs> Bye! <laughs> Oh, right. Well, I'm so sorry, Ellie, missed that. Hi. Oh, I just saw, uh, what, was his, what was his face? Dave Lucas Arts heading out. He's yeah. going to miss his plane. You better uh, hurry up, yep. actually. It's a good know. job his Ferrari's outside, otherwise he'd probably probably miss it. Oh, that's useful. I didn't know Uber did that these days. Mm, it's good. Yeah. This is like the bit in Superman 2 when he goes for a hot dog and then Superman comes <laughs> <So>. in. <laughs> Listen, it's magic. It's the magic of radio. Don't spoil it, Jim. <laughs> right. Should we do, should we do quick fire then? Can you sound more excited I'm about sorry, it, please? I've I've uh, I've confused right. myself as to where we are in the in the in the rhythm of the show. This is why we're never going to be like professional like hosts. Like imagine we if, are professional imagine hosts. Imagine if Bradley Walsh. This is literally professional hosting that we're doing Walsh right now. Went, Don't right. undermine our professionalism. No, you've just undermined it by going. Oh, should we do a quick fire <laughs> round? No. Imagine if Philip Schofield, or what's he on now? The Krypton Factor is that? What he's, I don't know if he was, if he was like, oh well, it's time for the final obstacle course. Obviously, that wasn't for broadcast, Ellie. Yeah, that whatever. was just from my own understanding of the rhythm of the show. Hey, Jim, would you like to do a quickfire round? <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. I'm really excited. Yeah. Right, it's time for the quickfire round. Better. Good. Okay. Uh, yes, this is where, Jim, we ask you some quickfire video games themed questions and then we judge you on your answers. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> Everybody loves the judgment part most. <laughs> Listen, we all do it in our heads all the time. Yes. Question one. Sonic or Mario? Oh, uh, Sonic. Gotta got to stay loyal to the guys that's, at Sega. That's right. You Sonic's do have to pick a side. Sonic's yep. making up the numbers now. Console or PC? Console. Yeah, it used to be console. It still is. Yeah, it's console. It's console. Ken or Ryu? Ryu. Don't come up with your Ryu. <laughs> Listen, that's Mate. how we said it in South East London in 1994. I don't see why we should have to of change. Of course, that is where Street Fighter was made and conceptualised. Correct. Ken or Ryu? <laughs> I'm going to go with Ryu because my best friend was always Ken. Space Invaders or Pac-Man? Space Invaders. Completist or Can't Be Asked? 
can't be asked. Massively. <laughs> I don't think I've ever completed a game apart from Street Fighter 2. I think that's the only game I've ever completed. And it's not, you know, that's another just another fight, isn't it? <laughs> that's quite hard to complete, though, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's not The Witcher, don't get me, in terms of time. But uh... Yeah, it took, it took me a while, but then, you, you know, you don't have to start again. If you're on the console, you just, you know, I completed it on the, on the SNES. I rented a SNES uh, from this video store rental place called Channel 5, funnily enough, and um, played it all weekend, completed it. Only game I've ever completed. Call of Duty or Candy Crush? Uh, Call of Duty, I think. I didn't sort of get into Candy Crush. Call of Duty I've played a few times and I really like the idea of it. Again, it's one of those games that I think would be a sort of fantasy game when I was 10, like the idea of playing with your mates. But I just panic at those shoot 'em up games. I just panic. I can't get the direction right. I shoot the floor, I shoot my feet. <laughs> I stay in the corner of the room. I'm like the guy at the end of Blair Witch. I'm just sort of walking into the corner of the wall. But yeah, Call of Duty, yeah. There was one person who used to come around my house to play Halo when we would have lots of people playing Halo and she would just spend the whole time with her gun pointed straight at the sky because she couldn't, like, and she just what, literally had the greatest time of her life just shooting the sky and wandering around and wondering what was happening. Yeah, I mean, why not? <laughs> you know, whatever gets you, gets you hard. <laughs> like someone who takes a gun to a festival would just sort of dance and shoot it up to the sky. <laughs> Playing his odd job in Goldeneye, cheating or totally fair? I think it's fair. Was I can't remember. Was odd job? Did odd job have special powers? He was just an <laughs> awful lot smaller than all the other characters, and therefore harder to shoot. Oh, <laughs> That's right, great. Okay. That is great game design right there. That is great. Uh, no, it's fair. I was always Baron Samedy. Yeah. So yeah, me and my mates, we built this when I was a student. We built this kind of cardboard viewfinder a tunnel vision effect so you'd have two people on chairs and then two people sort of in front of you sort of on on the floor sit with their legs crossed and then you'd sort of peer through this cardboard tunnel and you could only see your screen you couldn't see where you were in relation to anyone else so this is this is when the screen was in quarters right for split screen so you yeah. literally created a tunnel so that you couldn't peek at what everyone else was doing that's genius so it was kind of like a really early version of like online shoot 'em up gaming really <laughs> Except with cardboard, like Blue Peter version of that. That's a pretty good anti-cheating device. Yeah. Pro Evo or FIFA? Pro Evo, mate. And I'll tell you why. Because you can create your own telly. Uh, your own telly. You can create your own <laughs> team. I've been up all night creating a team of my friends. And I've been looking and studying pictures of them on Facebook to get the avatar just <laughs> right. I've lost hours creating uh, actual customised teams of all, all my mates and stuff. So definitely Pro Evo. Also, it's a better gameplay, I think. You know, I used to do that in the, in the Guitar Hero slash Rock Band games. I spent many hours creating all my friends in, in Rock Bands, but then also um, for, for a party once, I created all of the different eras of David Bowie <laughs> so that they could all oh play God, together. <laughs> I was quite pleased with myself. It took like three days. Oh, I once uh, customised a game, like a physical game of Guess Who with some Tipex and I made all the people on it people in the video games industry. So I think you were on there. I can't remember. Maybe you were Pauline. I can't remember which one you were, Keza. There were only about three women, so it's very like the video yeah, games right. industry. I'd had to draw beards and moustaches. And... I, I, re I recently bought um, a vintage uh, box of uh, Hero Quest. Do you remember Hero Quest? Oh, I loved Hero Quest, yeah. I don't know if you played it, Kesa. Hero Quest was basically Dungeons and Dragons for people, for children who weren't very imaginative. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. yeah, recommend it. I bought that online uh, a couple of weeks ago. It was probably my favourite board game 
as a child. And it probably still is. It's essentially Dungeons and Dragons for non-completists because you can play it in about an hour and a half. It's fine. Yeah, it's for lazy people and simpletons and children, <laughs> which is just what we're saying. Not, no offence, yeah. Jim. <laughs> and now I'm sort of, I've just got back into sort of painting all the miniatures again, uh, which I haven't done since I was like 13. But yes, I bought, I spent quite a lot of money on like all the little paints and the dry brushes and everything else. And I'm, yeah, and that's what I'm doing at the moment in the evenings. My, my, you know, my wife can't keep her hands off me, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, we've been told uh, that we have to end the podcast uh, by saying, oh, I can't even say it now, because by saying game over, because, you know, yeah. So uh, we can't bring ourselves to do that, Jim. So what we're going to do is make you do it. Is that acceptable? Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, so, I'm sad to, but yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. Oh, you're very welcome. You can do it in any style. Any style or, of game over that you'd like. I was about to say accent, but I take that back. Not any accent you'd like. No, you know, uh, we, all, we all know where the line is. There's yes. the line. Uh, do, it, do it in any style. <laughs> otherwise, you would like. Okay. Game over. How about that? Oh, that's, that's a, good a good one. one. Yeah. Yes. Robotic Thank you so much, Jim Howie. <laughs> Thank you, Jim. It's been really fun. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks, guys. This has been Extra Life. If you've enjoyed the show, don't forget to like and subscribe. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Extra Life Pod. Extra Life. With Ellie Gibson and Kaz McDonald. Produced by Joel Marks. We've had some complaints from the various video game executives featured on this show, um, and we'd like to just make absolutely clear that... Uh, Ellie's voices do not represent the actual views of uh, any of the corporations mentioned. Oh, spoil sports. <laughs> I'm Mason Lane. I'm a journalist, but like everyone else now, I'm also a podcaster too. So I've combined this unique skill into a new series called Cold Case Crime Cuts, a true crime podcast that investigates some of the coldest, truest crimes of ever. Who really shot the sheriff? Just how smooth was that criminal? And why was he, she, or they hairless? And just who shot who at the Copacabana, the hottest bar north of Havana? Eight mysteries told in song and solved in story. Stories that sing, or have been sung, in song. Listen out for them. Maybe before you listen to this. Stories. This is Cold Case Crime Cuts.